But she also created a media firestorm when she was asked about the kinds of plots they were going to have in their movies. And uh, she made this comment that they were going to keep traditional marriage at the core. I mean, imagine somebody daring to say that. That they were going to keep traditional marriage at the core of their plots in the movies that they would make. And it caused uh, uh, criticism to rise. Uh, actors that had signed to work with the American, great American family uh, left because of this statement she made about keeping traditional marriage at the core of the product that they're going to produce. Apparently, she had left the Hallmark Channel because it had yielded to the pressure to expand its view of romance and of marriage. And I'm here to say this morning that God hasn't changed his mind about romance or marriage. He created it. And he created us for it. His book, the Bible, has a lot to say about the subject of marriage. And we would all do well to understand what his book says. In the Bible, Peter wrote an observation about marriage that's very important for every one of us to understand. He said that as a married couple, we are, quote, heirs together of the grace of life, close quote. Now, when he said that, when he wrote that, in the original Greek of the New Testament, when he said, used the term grace of life, in the Greek, it's the two words, charis zoe. Charis is the Greek word that speaks of God's supernatural grace. And Zoe is the spark of life. Not just life in terms of the passing of time, but the vibrancy of life, the spark of life. Charis Zoe. We're joint heirs of Charis Zoe. Now, as Christians, we each live our lives in the flow of God's grace. He daily strengthens us. He daily enables us to live for him by the grace of God. We understand that. Now, this is important. When you marry somebody, when you become someone's wife or somebody's husband, This divine flow of grace is now shared as two become one. I don't mean that you just kind of, you have your flow of grace and she has her flow of grace. It's telling us that as two become one, that flow becomes one. It's one flow of God's grace to both of you. And this has to be understood because if it is one flow of grace, then it must be received together or not at all. 
And so this morning, I'm going to be speaking about three things that we must understand about being joint heirs of life's flow of grace as a married couple. Out of 1 Peter 3, beginning in verse 1, Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear, do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner in former times the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. Lord, I pray for a supernatural grace indeed to flow in the house of God this day, that you would speak to husbands and wives, that we would understand the role that you have called us to in our marriage, that we would have the fullness of all the blessing that you have ordained till death do us part. In Jesus' name, Amen. Heirs together. First, the first thing about this flow of grace that we share is that our relationship with God, your relationship with God is the backbone of your marriage relationship. And that's essential. You say, well, what if we don't have a relationship with God? Well, then that says a mouthful, doesn't it? But the way God intended it to be is that your relationship with him be the backbone of your relationship with your spouse. And because this is true, character is at the core of marriage. And that's why if you're not married and you're looking for a a potential spouse, character has to be at the top of the list when you consider anyone as a potential mate. Because character gives any marriage hope. Even if things are not going well in a marriage and things might even seem bleak, if you have two individuals in that marriage who are men and women of character, then there's hope. But if character is lacking, then that marriage is a sinking ship, no matter how good things seem to be at the moment. Now, what is character? It's not complicated. Character is honesty, integrity, and faithfulness. Honesty, integrity, and faithfulness. Simple honesty in marriage is essential. I don't think it's in the marriage vows, but It should be. I guess it's just assumed that if you're going to marry somebody, that you're going to always tell them the truth. I will always tell you the truth. 
Okay, we may shade it a little bit. We may bend it a little bit. We may massage it a little bit. But honesty in marriage is essential. In other words, we say, you know what? I will not lie to your face. Because I'll say it again. If you are in the habit of lying to her face or to his face, you, your marriage is a sinking ship. Because character is at the core. And for that reason, our relationship to God is the backbone of our relationship to our spouse. And of course, this is related to the integrity. What does it mean to have integrity? Integrity means that I'm the same person in any circumstance or situation. I don't change. I'm, I am who I am regardless of situation or circumstance or who I'm with. Integrity means that my word can be trusted. That I will be where I say I am and I'll be doing what I, what I say I'm doing. That's integrity. The word integrity, the origin of the word actually speaks of the hull of a ship, for example, that will bear up under intense pressure. Hull integrity is what is the reference. Is the hull going to bear the stress of the storm or is it going to break up and all will be lost? That's the idea of integrity. It's the idea of Chuck Yeager, the, the pilot, many, many years ago, who climbed into an experimental aircraft in an attempt to break the sound barrier. And he pushed that throttle and pushed those engines and approached the, the threshold of the, of the sound barrier, not knowing if the airframe he was sitting in was going to bear the stress. And he would become another test pilot who died trying. And finally, we speak his name because he broke the sound barrier for the first time because that airframe could handle the stress. It had hull integrity. That's the word integrity. About 20 years ago now, a little more maybe, the space shuttle Columbia, you might remember, was destroyed on reentry because that liftoff, some of the heat panels that were supposed to shield it from the intense heat of reentry had broken off. And they didn't know. And then they were making reentry a few days later, and the hull could not stand the stress of reentry, and it broke up, and all, of, all aboard perished. See, that's what the picture of integrity. Engineers speak of structural integrity. And integrity is a, care, is a part of human character. Am I the same person regardless of where I am or who I'm with? Is my word trustworthy? Which brings us to the third element of character, and that's faithfulness. Faithfulness is basically honesty plus integrity equals faithfulness. In other words, I made the vow, and because I made the vow, I'll keep it. 
You know, there are a lot of people that can't wait to say, I do. They dream of the day when they will finally say, I do. Well, when you say, I do, what are you saying, I do, to? Well, let me remind you, as someone who's done an awful lot of weddings, repeating the vows, the preacher says, and forsaking all others. will submit to the covenant of this union so long as you both shall live? Question mark. I do. That's what you said I do too. Forsaking all others till you die. It's called faithfulness. Integrity, character, means I made the vow, so I'm going to keep it. Now, God is the author of marriage, and he will teach us how to be married if we care to ask. Sometimes, and rightfully so, this is not... I'm not making light of this because this is a genuine concern. Sometimes people never saw a real marriage work. Their own parents didn't have a real marriage if they had a marriage at all. They never saw a couple live out a good marriage before them in real life. And now they find themselves married. And the stresses of marriage cause them to be quite insecure about their ability to be married. But the good news is that if we ask God, he will help us. He's the author of marriage. He created us to be married. It's part of who we are as human beings. And if we ask him, he'll help us to have a good marriage. Even though we may not have seen an example up close of somebody having a good marriage, we can still, by the grace of God, become that good example to our own children and to our grandchildren. The Bible is God's manual on the subject if we care to read it and then obey it. If you really want God's help with your marriage, read the Bible. If there's an index, look in the back and look up the word married, married or marriage or wedding or whatever and start studying. All you really have to do is go to Google and type in, what does the Bible say about marriage? And you'll get every text in the Bible about marriage and then read it. And then having read it, live it. So we have the Bible, and then the Spirit of God directs pastors to preach and teach on the subject a lot. Harold Warner preached on it at a Bible conference. I'm preaching about it now, and it's not even Valentine's Day. 
And then, if you're paying attention, he gives us godly examples in the house of God. Men and women, perfect marriages? No. Good marriages? Yes. A marriage that if you follow their example will mean you're going to have a good marriage? Yes. He gives us godly examples. He's the author of marriage, and if we will let him, he'll teach us how to be married. Now I want to make some statements that should be obvious, but apparently they're not. One is that no one backslides into a better marriage. I said no one backslides into a better marriage. You grow cold toward God, but hot toward your spouse? Yeah, sure. Not the real world. There are people who backslide, and they may claim that their marriage is better than ever. Stay tuned. Tick, 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 tick. Boom! No one backslides into a better marriage because your relationship with God is the backbone of your relationship with your spouse. And on a similar note, no one ever got closer to God by rejecting their spouse. Remember, joint heirs of the flow of grace. It's inherited together. You say, but what if my spouse, my husband, or my wife doesn't want to serve God? They're not very spiritual. Well, that's why Peter said to the wives, even if some, speaking of her husband, do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. Paul said to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 7, a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he's willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. God's will is the best friend marriage ever had. Secondly, the marriage relationship is mutually complementary. That's how God designed it. Remember, God designed marriage. And he designed a man and a woman for the relationship of marriage so that in marriage they would be mutually complementary. Not just as they say nice things to each other, but his weaknesses fill in, are, are filled in by her strengths and his uh, strengths fill in her weaknesses. That's what mutual complementary, uh, mutually complementary means that they fit like a, a puzzle piece. In other words, it's the God-designed mutual ability to complete the other. Strengths and weaknesses complement one another because God designed this in to being a human being. He designed you with marriage in mind. Adam needed Eve as much as Eve needed Adam. 
Remember again what God said in Genesis 2.18. The Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. What that word helper comparable means, those words, means the other piece of the puzzle almost. That they fit his match, in other words. Not saying that, uh, you know, the match made in heaven, you have a soulmate out there, the one who fits perfectly. No, no, that's not what that means. What it means is God created Eve and her daughters with the ability to complement her husband. To fit into that role of being mutually complementary. Where her strengths fit into his weaknesses and his strengths fit into her weaknesses and they become better together than they could be by themselves. This is the marriage relationship. A mutually beneficial fit. She's just what he needs and he is just what she needs. Each are created with unique vulnerabilities. Listen to what I'm saying. Each one are created by God with unique vulnerabilities that draw out the strengths of the other. In other words, there's something in him, his certain vulnerabilities, that pull out of you as his wife, those strengths that you have. And there's certain vulnerabilities God designed into you as a wife that pull out of him those strengths that he has. That's marriage. And because of this, marriage allows people to mature in ways that they could never mature do without marriage. Because without marriage, you don't have those influences pulling on you to pull those things out of you. To bring those things to the fore, to develop those strengths that are in you by God for the benefit of your marriage. But sir, your wife has these certain vulnerabilities built into her that as you seek to love her, it pulls those things out of you and you mature as a man. And your husband, sis, has certain weaknesses, vulnerabilities in him that pull those strengths out of you that are in there. Because God put them there for his benefit. And it's this mutual ability to complete each other. So do yourself a favor and stop fighting it. Do yourself a favor and embrace it. And this is the context of Peter's words here to the wives. There are women who read this text and say, oh man, that's so embarrassing. That's so last century, last millennia. I'm going to read that text again, a part of it, in the uh, common English version. And basically all Peter is telling this, these women is stop trying to be who you're not. Relax and be who you are. This is the common English version. Don't depend on things like fancy hairdos or gold jewelry or expensive clothes to make you look beautiful. Be beautiful in your heart 
by being gentle and quiet. The kind of beauty that will last, and God considers it very special. Long ago, those women who worshipped God and put their hope in Him made themselves beautiful by putting their husbands first. For example, Sarah obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her true children if you do right and do not let anything frighten you. So what's Peter saying? Some women feel they can't be gentle and quiet. Because if they're gentle and quiet, that means they're vulnerable. Some women can't put her husband first. Because if she does, she'll be vulnerable. He says, don't let anything frighten you. Why is he telling her that? Why doesn't he say that to him? Because everything frightens her. It might have frightened you that I said that. Women are driven by fear. You mean it's not only me? No. He said, and I quote, made themselves beautiful by putting their husbands first. Whoa. What a statement. She made herself beautiful by putting her husband first. Well, beautiful to who? Exactly. Who is it you want to be beautiful for? Well, Kim, of course. Okay, take your word for it. And if you put him first, do you think that might enhance that a little bit? A lot. It's in the Bible, I'm just saying. So this whole mutually complimentary beneficial thing. Stop fighting it. This idea that his strengths complement my weaknesses and her strengths complement his weaknesses. It's true. Stop fighting it and embrace it. In other words, your spouse can really make you look good if you'll allow it. A happily married woman is the most beautiful woman on the planet. Because it comes from inside. You fill in the weak spots for each other. I mean, how cool is that? I've been married a bunch of years now, decades, a bunch of decades. And I, I finally started to figure this out. 
Patsy has enhanced me in ways that I can't fully appreciate. And I am very grateful. And I see it. And I honestly do not fully appreciate it. She makes me look good in so many ways. There are frankly, I've got weaknesses there. I'm oblivious, but she's not. And because we're partners, it helps me. You think about it, in marriage, that's the way it's supposed to be. His knowledge, his skill, his strength are tremendous benefit to her and make her look good. And people admire her because of him. But her empathy, her love, her social sensitivity, her social skills, her ways of doing things, her creativity, he's oblivious to so, much, so many things. And she just kind of looks at him and shakes her head and sighs like, how can anybody be that oblivious to the obvious? But he is, he's a man. But she fills that in. And people think well of him because of her. That's marriage. You may have heard the comedian Sinbad talk about this in marriage. He says, marriage is about growing old together. Marriage is about falling apart at the same time. That's what makes it special. <laughs> you become one. You live long enough, the two of you become one good person. One can see, one can hear. One can walk, one can use a hand. You need each other. You go to a movie together, one listens, one watches. <laughs> you become a team. One got a good right hip, one got a good left hip, so you can balance. Oh, they're so cute together. No, they fall down. <laughs> they need one another. Once you've been some, with somebody for so long, they just understand. Mutually complementary. Her strengths fitting your weaknesses, your strengths fitting her weaknesses, and you stop fighting it. You just take advantage of it. Allow it. When that happens, you know what God does? He builds power couples. You know, they talk about power couples. Hollywood knows nothing about power couples. Power couples don't blow up after a couple of years. Only God builds real power couples that can be used for his glory. Think about it. Two mature adults who know each other and complement each other well. And they can become a formidable team for God. I was thinking about this recently, and to be honest with you, I am in awe of the sacrificial impact of a number of power couples in this church. Over time, over decades. The sacrificial impact of not one guy, but couples. They're real power couples. Because yes, he may be the one out in front, his, uh, his name might be known for whatever, but you know what, he would not be that guy if he wasn't married to her. If they didn't have that kind of relationship where her strengths filled in his weaknesses and vice versa, if they didn't draw near each other and complement each other and build that over time, they wouldn't have the life they have and they wouldn't see God use them the way God is using them. I mean, I think about world evangelism. 
world evangelism, I mean, reaching the world, as we're going to see after the service this morning, reaching the world is massively expensive. Not just in terms of money. But the truth is that we're impacting the world because of these power couples. The ones that go in sacrifice and the ones who send in sacrifice. Power couples who carry the weight that makes all that we do possible. I mean, that literally defines us as a church and as a fellowship. You say, you mean, so what about single people? Oh, of course. Single people, their lives matter just as much. But the truth is that most single people want to be in a power couple someday. Because it's about these power couples. Finally, I'm talking about being heirs together of the flow of God's grace. And my final point is that this all comes down to my daily obligation to my marriage. Listen to Peter's words again. He says, if you are a wife, this is the CEV, you must put your husband first. Even if he opposes our message, you will win him over by what you do. No one else will have to say anything to him because he will see how you honor God and live a pure life. If you're a husband, you should be thoughtful of your wife. Treat her with honor because she isn't as strong as you are and she shares with you in the gift of life or the flow of grace. Then nothing will stand in the way of your prayers. God has called every one of us to the ministry. And if you're married, your first ministry is to be a source of God's blessing for your spouse. I said, if you're married, your first ministry, you may have others. You may be known for others. But your first ministry is to be a source of God's blessing for your spouse, for your husband or for your wife. Because let me tell you something about your spouse. Your spouse, your husband, or your wife is really, really, really special to God. I don't know if you knew that. If that surprises you, well, then you gotta, you got to wake up. You married a very special person. God was there on that day when you got married, wherever you got married, however you got married. And you married someone who is very special to God. And God wants to bless your spouse. And God wants to bless that spouse of yours, your husband or your wife, daily, every single day. And in case you haven't figured it out, you are God's on-the-scene representative for blessing her or him. You're God's on-the-scene representative. You are his chief means of blessing that person. You got that? That person you're married to is really special to God. God's really 
intent on blessing your spouse every single day, and he has literally positioned you to be his chief source of blessing to that person that's very special to him. You've lived with that person a long time, and by experience, you know what that person likes, and you know what that person needs. Remember, this is our first ministry. We may have others, but this is the first one. And if your spouse is not a Christian, then your first ministry is to bless them because that's critical to them becoming a Christian. Isn't that what Peter just told the, the wives? That without a word? In other words, it's not your three-point sermon that's going to get them saved. It's how you bless them. It's that you become a source of God's blessing to them on a daily basis. And I'll say it again. You know exactly what that person likes. You know exactly what that person needs. You know. Yeah, we make all kinds of excuses, give ourselves reasons why we neglect that. But we still know. And we're still responsible before God to take that knowledge and use it daily to be a blessing to that person. Because that's our first ministry. All blessing ultimately begins with what we, what, what we say, our words. And in marriage, if you really want a good marriage, then practice using words that bless. And get out of the habit of using words that curse. Yeah, I know, in marriage we can all feel very justified in using the wrong words. Well, you know, he hurt me, he offended me, she made me mad. She always, she knows, she knows she, she says that she's going to make me mad, but she says it anyway. What do you expect me to do? I said, get in the habit of speaking words that bless and get out of the habit of speaking words that curse. Now sometimes that means we're going to have to obey the Bible when the Bible says, do not return railing for railing. What does that mean? That means somebody just told you off good. Up in your face. Spit on you and everything. And God says, don't return it. But, 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 but... How can I not? Sometimes she makes me so mad. God says don't return it. That means we choose to be kind in the face of somebody being really mean to us at the moment. Never. Well, that's why your marriage stinks sometimes. Do not return railing. But I just got railed on. Don't you understand? I've been railed. Okay, don't return it. <laughs> the Bible says a soft answer turns away wrath. 
You really want to make him feel bad when he's being an absolute idiot and a jerk being mean to you? Be nice to him. Or when she's running her mouth and like no tomorrow, she's using all the arrows in her quiver and knows exactly where to aim them. Just smile and tell it you love her with your whole heart. And she's really beautiful when she's mad. <laughs> she'll be so confused, she'll, she won't speak for 20 minutes. Your first ministry is to be God's daily source of blessing to that person he gave you. That's your first ministry. Because I'm going to say it again. You know what she likes. You know what blesses her. You know how she takes her coffee. Or tea or whatever it is that she likes. The average foot rub is what? Five minutes? I'm just saying. And that goes both ways, by the way. That's our first ministry. You get up in the morning next to that person that God gave you and you know exactly what God wants you to do. Question is, will you do it? You cannot help but have a good marriage if you wake up tomorrow morning and begin to live that way. Look out for each other. Protect each other's backs. Stand up for each other. Speak up for each other. Don't side against him or her for anyone. And if that special one that God gave you is under attack, you're not neutral. You have a side, his side, or her side. Yeah, but it's with my mom. Cut the apron strings, homie. You're married now. That's why he will leave his father and mother and cling to his wife, the Bible says. And what we're talking about, this is not optional. When I'm saying wake up every day with the mission, the ministry of being a blessing to that person, this is not optional. If you want God's flow of grace in your life, and I want you to listen to what Peter said, it's not translated well, but Peter said it the right way, that your prayers, it says in verse 7, be not hindered. That's not translated accurately. I mean, be not hindered. What does hindered mean? Hindered means like a speed bump, right? That's not what that means. In the Greek, that word that's translated hindered is ekkopto. Do you know what that means? It means chopped off. Ek means out. Kopto means like an axe or a butcher knife. I mean severed. 
So when he says that your prayers be not severed, that your access to God be not severed, yikes. Should have said it like that because that's what it means. What? Well, wait a minute. You mean because I'm fighting with that jerk that I'm going to sever my relationship with God? That's what it says. I'm just saying. Remember, the lady he's talking to, her husband's not saved. It's the, your joint heirs of the life of grace. Those two streams that were once separate are now one stream because you got married to that person. It's one flow of God's grace toward your life. Your joint heirs now. And you got to be good to each other, love each other, or you're going to sever yourself from that flow of grace. What's being implied here is that when we made the vow to our spouse that he somehow linked that vow to him. And however we treat the one we're married to, he, for some crazy reason, takes it personal. He takes it personal. I mean, you think she's bugged by your attitude. He's more bugged. You think he's upset because of what you said. Your husband, he's more upset. Because he takes it personal. Heirs together of this life of grace. Let's bow our heads.